Hello and welcome to another episode of Software Should Be Free. I'm your host, Tim Abel. I recently had the privilege of uh, being a guest on Jonathan Stark's Ditching Hourly podcast, which I highly recommend. Uh, he, he helps people like me who charge by the day, uh, which he thinks is highly ridiculous, um, <laughs> uh, switch to something uh, more like fixed price, value-based pricing. Uh, so this was a, a effectively a coaching call um, where he helped me think through um, and get some proper understanding of the market that I'm in and what shape it is and what options I might have and what directions I could go. Uh, I hope that you get something out of this. There's uh, some great structure about the way to think about these things, um, some great tips, um, and it's given me a lot to think about. Uh, I don't yet know which way I'm going to go with the whole thing, um, but uh, I'll uh, now hand over to Jonathan Stark for the Ditching Hourly show, and I'll see you on the other end. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today, I'm joined by guest Tim Abel. Tim, welcome to the show. Hi, Jonathan. So can you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm a diehard nerd, really. Um, <laughs> I've, <laughs> I, I fell into programming uh, after uni by picking up a department website back in 2000. Um, and I've just enjoyed it and tried to make every job as much to that, that way inclined as possible ever since. Mm -hmm. um, I switched to contracting uh, about seven years ago now, and I've been thoroughly enjoying that uh but now i'm getting the ditching hourly itch <laughs> mm -hmm. um so I'm, I'm i've been learning as much as i can in the last couple of years um by listening to things um like like your show mm -hmm. um and reading related books and i i did i did try and do a, a product on the side but um it, it turned out to be something that i wanted that no one else did <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, it's, there's that uh that myth that hey if i want it someone else must want it but that's not always true yeah i did hear that <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, okay so let's see here let me ask some follow-up questions on a couple of these so you said you've been contracting for seven years mm -hmm. and w what does that look like i don't want to assume that you know what that's mm -hmm. like but was there a moment when you went solo or d mm -hmm. were you was it a side hustle at, while you had a day job uh, how, how did you get your first clients? Like, take us back to the beginning to kind of give us that feel. Sure. So, uh, I was working for a, a company that, um, I, I never understood what, what was going on, but it was, um, run by accountants and not developers. And <laughs> I kind of didn't like anything they were doing. Um, but didn't really, couldn't really get it changed. Um, they weren't kind of interested in the kind of like good practice programming for, for its own sake that I kind mm -hmm. of like. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, kind of that came to an end, not because I wanted to go contracting, but just kind of like I'd, I'd done about a year there and I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? <clears throat> and I was, I've had quite a few permanent jobs over the years mm -hmm. um, to the point that people often mistake it for a, a, a contract CV from the start. Um, gotcha. And I was just thinking about what jobs I could get and thinking, I don't, I don't know how I can walk into another um, permanent job interview and say, yeah, I'm totally going to commit to your mission for the next five years. <clears throat> um, it wouldn't have felt authentic mm -hmm. um, because I'd, I'd seen enough different companies and enough different ways that they did things. Um, that at that point, I, I didn't really feel like I could 
<clears throat> pretend that I was joining their mission, which, you know, in, in permanent work, they kind of do want to feel like you're, you're in it for at least a little bit of the long haul. Right. Even though they're used to programmers being a bit <laughs> come and go. Yeah. Um, it's expensive to keep rehiring people. So that's for sure. Well, yeah. Um, so I, I did, I guess I did some research over a while ago now, but one of the things that I, I did was I talked to a, a recruiter who hired contractors as well as permies. Um, and he, he was super helpful. He was very generous with his knowledge um, and gave me some ideas about what would be a good way of approaching it. So mm -hmm. in, in permanent work, it's pretty common to give at least a month's notice uh, in the UK. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you go to interview surreptitiously and then when you've got an offer, you give a month's notice and the, the people will be happy with to wait for you. Mm -hmm. um, and the advice I got was <clears throat> in contracting land, there's no way a contract is going to wait for you for a month. So you can't really line up a contract and then give you a month's notice because there's you know 50-50 chance it'll just be gone by the time you get out. Yeah. So you really do have to just make the jump. Um, so I, I can't remember what my runway looked like, but um, I did I did exactly that. I gave my notice without a particular thing to go to. Mm -hmm. um, my costs were lower than they are now. I didn't have a family. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, uh, I think my other half was working as well. So we, <clears throat> we weren't going to run out of money the moment, the moment mm -hmm. I switched. Right. So risk tolerance was high. Yeah, it was, it was much better than it is now. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and the, I was able to pick up a contract really easily. Um, and I think, and how'd you do that? Uh, I think charging half market rate is a, is a good way to do that. Sure. Um, but you still had to create awareness. Like, did you, <clears throat> did you reach out to people? Did you go on job boards? Yeah. Um, in my experience, still job serve is for UK contract work by far my best lead source. Um, but it seems that most of the recruiters post their leads on there. Um, and if you just you know, apply to a bunch of things on there with your CV, mm -hmm. um, one of them will get back in touch and go, Oh, that one's gone, but I've got this other thing. <laughs> um, What's it called? I, job serve? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you I post, do I have not familiar with that one? Do folks post, that's just a place where they're posting contract jobs. Are, are there, is it a two sided marketplace where there are also freelancers um, posting their availability? Uh, I think they've got an element of that. So you can have a profile on there. Um, and I have had some outreach, um, but my impression of the way it really works is uh, contractors, spray, uh, sorry, recruiters spray their job postings, fake or real, onto there. Mm -hmm. um, and they take the inbound leads that they get with contractors and they just use it to find out who's currently looking. Because I, I think one of the challenges in the market is it, a lot of it's timing based because um, right. the, the kind of contracts that I do a very full time it's not like one of, the, one of the distinctions i've started to realize when i've been listening to all this advice is there's quite a big difference between freelancers and contractors in that um contractors like me take on like all consuming project uh, projects that might go on uh three three months up to a couple of years my current ones yeah and they want you 40 hours a week yeah um yeah. <clears throat> which i think is partly due to how deep you have to get into it and understand it um, sure. Yeah. In the U S um, I think uh, typically be called staff augmentation. Right. Yeah. That's a, a dangerous term around here because of the I, IR 35 tax gotcha. legislation. <laughs> <laughs> if they think you're staff, then you get taxed as an employee and not as a business. Um, gotcha. Okay. But that's the, it's the same mentality where they expect that you are going to be, you know, a, a butt in a seat 40 hours a week and they're going to say, okay, you know, here's your list of things to do, get them done. How come you didn't get them done? So on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and I think in the earlier days I got a bit more one man project stuff. Um, and as I've 
push my rates up and got a better CV to show. It seems I've ended up working for bigger organizations and it's much more common for me to be part of a larger team, um, mm. which I think matches the higher spend and their ability to just take take the people who are at the top of their rate. Um, right. Um, so yeah, very much so not delivering a product. It's much more like join the team delivering a thing. So a lot of the freelance, like jump from freelance to something else advice, I found kind of hard to apply because it's a lot like, well, take take the projects that you like and productize them and things like that. And because I'm delivering, say, a fifth of a huge project, mm-hmm. um, it's it's quite hard to know where to go with that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So how many clients would you say you've had over the years, just roughly? Uh, maybe 15 of varying lengths. Okay. And so, are they yeah. all like just a complete patchwork of different industries and so on and so forth? Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. I, I've started to have a bit of a theme of government work. Um, so I'm at, I'm at department for education at the moment. I did a very short stint at government digital services in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a, an outsourced thing for, uh, ministry of justice tribunals. Um, Mm -hmm. but other than that, um, a digital agency for shell digital agencies have been quite a good bread and butter for me. They, they're like, they've always got work. Um, uh, but they, yeah, they're not, not necessarily my favorite because they're quite, um, I don't know, stressed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're sort of uh, it, going through an agency makes it really hard to create leverage in your business for sure. Because they're, mm. you know, they have the same generally have the same problem where they're uh, giving hourly estimates to their clients or hourly not to exceed or, uh, or whatever. And they're, they generally don't let their contractors, or, you know, folks like you in the, in the equation, you're not going to get a chance to talk to the client up front. So they might've asked all the wrong questions and there's so many problems going on with that with just that one extra sort of uh, node in the network that, you know, three people, three cooks in the kitchen instead of just two, it makes things really complicated. It's okay for keeping mm. the lights on money, you know, getting, yeah. uh, getting a paycheck relatively easily. You can, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're halfway decent and you, you've been around and you know a couple of people, you can get an agency job pretty quickly, but it doesn't, it's kind of kicking the can down the road. You're not really building a business. You're just, you'd basically just have a job without a boss. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that uh, as a rule, I, I tend to be brought in after it's already been decided why we're building it and what we're building. Yeah, exactly. Right. And say, okay, now we need someone to do it. Right. And you're like, this isn't how you should do it. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but well, that's sometimes. what we sold. <laughs> okay. So, well, well, that's actually a good segue into like, you know, why do you care? Like, what's the, what's the problem? So you've mentioned that you've hour, uh, increased your hourly rates over, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. Why not just keep doing it? Yeah. And I think, um, that wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting question of why I'm motivated. So I, I made a, a little list it was a good opportunity to have a bit of a think about this mm. um so one one of them is uh i like to push myself um i after seven years of contracting so when i started that th- just contracting itself was a real big new challenge like how do you do it how do you get uh, leads how do you run a limited company even if it's a one-man band um mm-hmm. like learning not to try and reinvent accounting and just be like okay i'll just let the accountants tell me what to do fine <laughs> um <laughs> Double entry uh, accounting is stupid. Let me show you how it yes, should be done. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and okay. So you want to push yourself and you know, yeah. the learning curve on contracting mm-hmm. itself is over. You're at a plateau. You're like, okay, I get yeah. this. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is you know, partly why I started contracting because uh, the learning curve on coding had kind of plateaued a bit, yep. you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's always new stuff in tech, but it's also kind of same, but different. Mm-hmm. Reinventing the wheel every three years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Profitable, <laughs> but interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That wears off after a while. Right. Um, fun as it is teasing the new people about how we've seen it all before. <laughs> right. Um, I, I keep hearing this like hedonic treadmill concept. I think there's a, a fair amount of that going on. Like, you know, always, always looking to better yourself, no matter how good it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things is um, about providing more value for, for the people that I'm helping. Um, mm-hmm. Like as a, as a hands-on keyboard programmer, um, like it's comfortable and I'm lucky that the, the money is, is good, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Um, mm-hmm. But, it's quite limited the impact I can have. Yeah. Um, you know, once once a project's decided and there's a bunch of people working on it, you know, I can build it. Great. Um, but I'm starting to feel like I should, like, with with 19, 18, yeah, 19 years experience behind me, I should probably be you know, stepping up a little bit more and doing things. And I looked, I looked up the, you know, the career ladder, as it were. Mm-hmm. But, you know, development manager and senior manager, and you know. Mm-hmm wasn't really that excited about that <laughs> why not um i did originally look at like development managers positions as a bit of a, a trap in a way in that you're getting away from your coding skills so you you're losing your value there um and i've since read somebody pointing out that <laughs> you may also be lacking management skills so now you've got no skills um, <laughs> which <laughs> That's is one way to look at it yeah which is not necessarily a great way to go um i think it just doesn't excite me um i think i would if i could jump the entire middle bit and go all the way from being a doer all the way through to this is my company and i happen to have a lot of people working for me in order to make it all work i'd be cool mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. um i'd think like the journey up the middle doesn't really excite me Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Do you think if you let's just explore that for one second? So, if you were at the top of a company that you created, do you expect that you would be coding? Um, I I've heard a couple of interesting things around that lately. Um, because I kind of assumed that as soon as you're you're not you know cold face, um, <laughs> you really can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a bit of an experience for that. I uh, I kind of accidentally became a team leader. I, I took on a project and it turned out to be bigger than we expected. Mm. Um, and they're like, oh, what do you need to get this happen? And a bunch more people appeared. Um, and I was sort of de facto in charge because I was there first and I was connecting all the people and I knew about it. Right. And there was sort of this idea that, you know, I'd spend, I don't know, half my time coding and half my time making sure everything happened. And the reality of that was um, because the people who were full-time code were flat out every time I tried to do anything, it wasn't particularly helpful because I was so far behind or I'd pick up something that was on the critical path of like needing to get done. And then I'd hold things up. Yep. Um, so that kind of put me yeah, off that a bit right as well. There. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, so you wouldn't, I'll just tell you, you wouldn't be coding. <laughs> yeah. <I've, laughs> you could code on the side as a hobby, but if you were running a company, yeah. even if it was a SaaS and you were coding, there's a problem. Yeah, I've heard this. As a maybe as a team lead, I've heard a, a couple of interesting techniques. Which is one is to do things that are useful but are not a core part of the project. So um, one of the people I work with um, on on my current project uh, was being product manager. So not fun, fundamentally not a coder, but a very capable coder. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And while we were flat out building the thing that we absolutely had to build, he built a support console for us, mm -hmm. um, which improved everything. But we didn't have to wait for him. Um, he didn't have to like be full time on it. And that was quite right. effective. Um, mm. And the other thing that I've heard as a possible approach, perhaps more for a contractor than a business owner, um, is the, the pendulum of alternating your roles. So to keep it sharp by doing some hands-on keyboards roles and then in between doing some higher impact, more leadership um, consultancy type stuff mm. to um, keep keep on it. So that was kind of interesting. But yeah, I think I think you're right. If, it, if I was running any serious size company, I think it would be a struggle to do anything but hobby coding. Yeah, I mean, Larry Ellison isn't at an IDE. Like, it, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Even even Jack from Twitter, if if he's spending one second a month coding, that's too many seconds. Mm. He's got, they're way bigger fish to fry when you're in an organization. You like, need to be a leader. Anyway, so, th yeah. so that's good. That's good conversation because what I'm trying to uncover in a mm. kind of roundabout way is um, what, what would be your ideal day to day? What would be your, you know, you're, you're sort of, you've listed a couple of reasons that you're, you have, that are making you uncomfortable. You like to push yourself mm. more. You feel like you're at a plateau. You'd like to provide more value to the clients and have more impact. Mm -hmm. so that's one thing. I'm also hearing loud and clear that you, in, well, maybe I'm not, I, I'm hearing that you definitely like coding. You did say that you feel like mm -hmm. if you moved away from coding, you'd get less good at it in there. And, and then there's like an implication that you'd be less valuable because you were like, mm -hmm. oh, then I'd be a, a manager with no management skills and my, my coding <laughs> skills would atrophy. So I'd have no skills. So what, if I was going to say, what's your superpower, what would you say mm -hmm. is the thing that would, that would allow you to have the biggest impact for some client, maybe not one of your clients now, but a client that you could think of mm -hmm. or an industry that you can think of, or a type of business that you can think of, like a mission driven business, you know, something, something mm -hmm. psychographic like that, or something vertical, like, like orthodontists or, uh, you know, something business model defined, like, like uh, seed round startups, like maybe, maybe you, maybe one of those rings a bell with you, maybe none of them do. But what is like, I sense from you that you, you inherently believe that good codes worth money. Mm -hmm. What is the, what is the thing that you feel like, uh, if only you would be let up to the plate, you'd be able to hit a home run for a company. Mm. So I think this is where I've been flailing around a bit, trying to work out what on earth to do. And I, I hear this advice about look at your current clients and pick the ones you really like. Um, the, and I've also been considering like how I, my strengths and weaknesses compared to the other programmers that I'm around um, and the other people that I'm around. Um, I, I'd say I, I do quite like that early stage of a project where nobody's quite clear what it's for yet and um, exactly what you know, shape it should be and mm -hmm. talking to lots of people and then, setting that off and so it did occur to me that maybe startups might be a an interesting space um mm. who's in the room in that in that dream state like who's in the room um so the the, the project that i was on that that grew to have a team uh i think it was a was he a cto i think it was a big company so it was delegated down a level but in the local office he was effectively a cto mm -hmm. um so that's that's definitely a good one. I ended up talking to salespeople then, but they turned out to be a, a fairly bad proxy for talking to users. So I would like 
I'd like to have access to to users to be able to <clears throat> um, you know get from the horse's mouth mm-hmm. what the real needs are, depending on what the actual thing was. Mm-hmm. Um, and is this a, is this like a fundamentally like is the core product a digital product or is this a digital interface for people who run an asphalt company or a, a hair salon? Interesting. You know, you're talking so the, about yeah, because there's all different kinds of startups and they're not necessarily tech focused. Yeah, I'm a bit blind to the non-tech focused ones. <laughs> okay, um, so it's pretty much a SaaS. Uh, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, most of the companies that I've worked for have been technical. You know, without me there, they've usually had programmers already, um, and it's maybe been a, a a new venture for them or a, just a capacity issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, and this is what I've heard you talk about before of like, you know, the, the CV's a grab bag of everything and it's uh you know, I've got maintenance projects, I've got brand new greenfield projects and mm. every industry under the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've also, right. Yeah, I've also thought about like products and SaaS myself. Um yep. and I've been trying to do product things on the side. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like like where I would try to get to is, is is a challenging thing. Like it's driven a bit by personal freedom. Um like financial freedom, potentially. I know it's going to be hard work either way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've got one of the motivations, I've got two very small children. I'd like to have the flexibility to spend good time with them. The, the contracting is kind of a, uh, an endless time for money treadmill, yep. which is, it's good that I enjoy it, but you know, right. I'd like to, like to find, find a thing. Yep. Um, I, I think I, I don't, like, although I've been listening to lots of these startup shows and, um, reading and what have you, I still don't feel like I've got role models and access to like the detail of how people get to, from where I am to where they are. Right. So so that's where I sort of struggled to come up with ideas and know whether I could even do them or how I would, how I would get from A to B. Right. So there's, there, I think, I mean, step one is probably, or an important piece, certainly if, if not step one is knowing what your objectives are and you just Mm. Uh, laid them out big picture, personal freedom, financial freedom. Mm. Uh, if we were, you know, if this was a private phone call, I would get into actual numbers. Like what does mm. financial freedom look like for you? Uh, sometimes yeah. I've had conversations with people when the number was actually really low, like much lower than I thought. And yeah. it is much more attainable. Like the number actually matters. Yeah. Uh, well, you can, you can get an idea cause it's, uh, you know, a family with two kids and a dog, um, my other <laughs> half doesn't work. So it's all, all on my head. Um, I live not that far out of London. So that gives you an idea of sort of costs. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So I, I get it. You know, you don't, you don't need a billion dollars, but yeah. you know, there needs to be a, it, but you're not, uh, you know, but you've got expenses. Like there's yeah. pro- probably mortgage or rent or whatever and mm. health and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I know schooling. that some people, their approach is to like really tighten their belt in order to make a jump. Um, like mm-hmm. my objective is to be better off, not less well off. Yep. <laughs> so if I, yeah. given, given that I kind of like my job anyway, mm-hmm. um, if I can't better, better myself in that sense, as well as the value I provide, then I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Like mm-hmm. given that you can, you can realistically create a valuable, you know, SaaS or side project or product on the side of your main business. And I've heard plenty of stories of people where they, they bring their side project income up to their current income and then they switch. Sure. Right. That's yep. quite attractive. It's very attractive, but it does require working 80 hours a week for a long time. Mm. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. Um, I think I kind yeah. of do that anyway. I've just always, my, my side projects have always been kind of 
Um, I'm kidding myself that everyone thinks it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a, a whole bunch of directions that we could go in. It's a couple of things I'm hearing is so uh, is that you don't you certainly don't want to immediately jump to not a not a fully not coding thing. You, um, it, it feels like you don't want you would f- be uncomfortable or maybe not trust that decision or maybe not fully devote yourself to it if it was pure like. I don't know if you told me you also were like an amazing guitar player. And I said, well, why don't you, as a side hustle, why don't you start a, uh, a guitar training class on, you know, a video class and start selling that and just have like no, no code whatsoever, not even related to coding. You know, I, I don't feel like that's, I feel like, you know, you've got a skill set that you enjoy and you want to keep exercising, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I, and it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to end up being coding being the main thing that drives value um but there's a couple of reasons why i wouldn't jump completely to something else one is i don't feel like i've got this other skill set hiding away right that would provide value right um and i i do enjoy i just really enjoy the digital space like i like seeing digital products being built and being successful and making people's lives better in some meaningful way yep okay so like let's, let's focus on that since there, I mean, constraints are good here because otherwise it's just like, well, it could be anything. So, you know, you could open a restaurant. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, so, so the, in the, the sort of dream vision of where you could provide the most impact, you started to talk about, you know, when I said, well, who would be in the room? And you were like, well, um, leadership, you said CTO, but it could, I, I would imagine even higher would be reasonable. You know, if it was a found, a smaller company, maybe it's the founder or the president, or, you know, maybe yeah. it's a 300 person company and you're talking to the CIO or the COO, but you know, somebody in yeah. leadership who's probably, yeah, I'm, who's, quite, I'm quite comfortable translating with non-technical people. Like okay. I'm quite happy to listen to somebody who doesn't really know how it all hangs together and yeah, yeah. understand what they really need and then Great. what we could build. Great. So, and then I also loved that you mentioned that you see yourself, you know, you said you mentioned that the salespeople turned out not to be a great proxy for the users and that you think that it's smart <laughs> to talk directly to the people who would be the customers of this thing, the clients mm-hmm. of this thing. Um, okay. So you, so a, a job, I mean, honestly, that's a design job. You know, it's not so much a coding job. It might be important, you know, and it could be design of software, which would typically be called like a software architect. Mm. And if you were, you know, you'd be at, with your uh, level of expertise in a particular space, which I want to go into a little bit more, mm-hmm. you could theoretically present yourself as someone who can tell a business person the feasibility of some plan that they have. So they've got some plan, maybe it's an established company that is going to uh, create a, maybe it's a bricks and mortar company that's going to create um, a SaaS based on their brand that isn't, you know, it's like a new, it's a line extension where, um, mm-hmm. right now they sell beauty products in physical retail and they want to start a, Oh, I don't know, like, uh, some kind of, some kind of membership site for people who share beauty tips. I just like making stuff up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, somebody like that is going to have no clue really they're going to have no real clue about what's feasible what's realistic what's expensive what's cheap um and and i guess what i'm asking you is like you'd feel comfortable i think 
mm-hmm. you tell me sitting in a meeting like that with like a founder or somebody way up in the organization, it's like, Hey, Tim, this is what we're thinking of doing. Uh, are we crazy? What are the unknown unknowns? Like, what should we be thinking about? Mm-hmm. How much yeah. would it cost per month for us to, to host this? How much would it cost to get a bunch of developers to build it? How should we build mm-hmm. it? Which modules should we build first? Which parts should we wait until later? Things like that. Like, is that that's well in your comfort zone? Uh, some of that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so talking to the, the founder, CEO types, yeah, absolutely. Um, where I get a little bit nervous because I don't do this stuff um, is projecting out costs. So I can talk talk to the cows come home about detailed technical things. You know, obviously, I spend a lot of my time discussing with other technical people about, you know, should we use this tech or that tech or how should we architect this? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do struggle a bit with like <laughs> feeling like I never really have the right answer because in tech there are just so many ways to skin a cat and you quite often just don't know until it's too late whether that was a good idea or not mm-hmm. so I get a little bit of like oh maybe I just won't say anything <laughs> so what did, um, what was your in that case um, maybe you could articulate explicitly why you would want to talk to users at all um, why I'd want to talk to users um, so I think the way I'd probably gun at that, if I was sat in front of a, a founder or a CEO is first, I'd understand what they were trying to achieve. Um, and then segue from that into, okay, can we get access to some of the people who this is going to serve? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just sort of have two sides of the picture and that would help shape, um, which bits were going to be important, which bits we should build first. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Okay. That answer, does that answer your question? It does, but you're you're comfortable working at that high level where you're not. Uh, yeah. Okay, so maybe costing it at that point is a little over the top, but you yeah. would you'd be able to kind of validate their idea. What? How do you feel yeah. about? Um, uh, how would you feel about prototyping software interfaces and testing them with these users? Um, yeah. So the uh, that project I mentioned, um, I ended up just. Have you come across Balsamic for wireframes? What's it called? Balsamic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I used that. I love that for that kind of thing. And wireframed out a bunch of screens to understand whether we were going in even vaguely the direction. And that was great. Iterated a couple of times on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were definitely able to build much closer to what they were hoping for um, beyond just talking to them in the first place. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, love that kind of thing. Great. Great, great, great. Okay, so we're getting. So what I'm doing here is I'm kind of testing the waters with you about what altitude we can increase, like, like how far up in the altitude of involvement you would feel comfortable at the current time. So yeah. if you, I don't know if you've heard me talking about this, so I'll just quickly say because other people probably have. Um, there's sort of like three al- altitudes of involvement you could have with a client as a software developer, but it's true for other professions as well, where the the bottom level is support and maintenance and mm-hmm. it's a, it's summarized as you're helping maintain the status quo so there's a status quo with in this case a software application and you're just maintaining it so if, if we use a building metaphor you're mopping the floors you're making sure the windows are clean you're putting toilet paper in the bathrooms you know you're just keeping the existing investment viable and healthy and mm-hmm. there's very little value in that. It's very, it's commodity level work. Lots of people can do it with not very much training. Uh, mm-hmm. It's difficult to value price and it's um, because there's little value in it. I mean, it's easy to value price, but it's not easy to value price 
with high numbers because Mm -hmm. the value is kind of like, well, I don't really want to pay someone to maintain like my new car that should Mm -hmm. be free. The thing should just work. The software should just work. Why, why are we already repairing it? It's brand new. Mm. Yeah, and I a, think my current project has drifted into that territory. So it's when I, what happens. They drift When I started, down. it was a brand new thing. It was a lot more prototypey. Now it's it's becoming fairly mature as a piece of software. Yep. And because it isn't a project-based thing, it's day rate. Yep. So, well, when, when do we cut this one off? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the next level up, altitude-wise, is uh, execution. So mm-hmm. this would be typical development where you're kind of handed a plan and somebody mm-hmm. says, okay, this, this is a new thing. It's going to be a new status quo. Here's what we want it to look like. Here are the wireframes. Here's the feature list. You know, here's the, here are the user stories that we've collected. All of this preliminary strategic and architectural design work has been decided mm-hmm. and we want you to build it. So the, the metaphor here building wise is that an architect who is not you hands plans to you And you're some kind of builder. You're either, you could be the carpenter. You could be pouring the concrete. You could be the general contractor. You could be the foreman. You could be running the job site. There are lots of jobs in this piece because it's the most labor intensive piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, It requires a lot of expertise, but it's really expensive to do. So in the software world, this is a pretty easy way to make pretty good money revenue wise, which is your gross paycheck. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if at the end of the year you got 200,000 euros or dollars or whatever, you're like, okay, that's a, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's like a decent income. But if you worked 60 to 80 hours a week and you subtracted that cost from the revenue, the overall revenue, you end up with not that much in in the way of profit. And another way to think about that is to say, okay, Let's say me, Tim, land a job, I get the job, and I know a guy who's just as good as me, uh, and I'm going to pay him to do the work. So every day, instead of me showing up, this other guy's going to do it. He's maybe a little bit cheaper than me, uh, and he does the work. The money that would be left over is your actual profit, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people think like, oh, I made $200,000 this year. And it's like, well... (laughs) You brought in 200000 but you didn't take out any of your expenses. And your biggest expense is your time. Mm-hmm. And the way to, to way to quickly calculate that is, is to think like, well, if I hired people to do this work on my behalf, how much would I have left? And the answer is almost nothing. Yeah, because I could, I could hire cheaper developers, but then they would fail to keep the client happy because they're not expecting mm-hmm. a cheaper developer. Yeah. Even, if, it, even if magically you got a clone of you who yeah. wanted almost as much money because yeah. it's you then you it just and everything was fine everything was the same it would be like you're like well it didn't this wasn't even worth it it wasn't even worth answering the emails about it um okay so that's the execution level yeah and that definitely matches what i've been doing mostly Mm um yeah that's what most people do yeah and the the clients that i get they've usually got somebody technical on board either Mm -hmm. contractor or otherwise who's already decided okay, we need a .NET developer because that's why I put my CV. That's why I sent to the recruiters mm-hmm. when I'm hunting. And, mm-hmm. and that's really my entire sales pipeline at the moment is like, hey, .NET developer with reputation. Yep. Yeah. So the level up, the final level up from, from you know, we've got sales and maintenance, then we've got execution or implementation in the middle. And then the highest level is, you could call it strategy or architecture or planning or design. 
And mm-hmm. it's this level where it's the stuff that happens before the implementation or before the execution or before the building. And mm-hmm. it's the highest value stuff. It's the, it's the uh, most fun for the client. It's the most fun for, the, for you, for the seller. It's going to have the highest level individuals from the organization in the meetings. It's the place where all of the, the top brass are going to want to weigh in. And, uh, and, it, and it typically, compared to the execution, it doesn't take very long. It could, t- it could be very short. It could take two days. It could be a four-hour workshop. It could be uh, two weeks. It could be maybe, maybe it's three months, but probably not. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so it, it, they ge- generally are not in absolute dollars. It's usually quite a, quite a bit less, probably 10% of the absolute dollars of an implementation or a build. Mm-hmm. But the profitability percentage is like through the roof. Because, you know, if you got $20,000 for four hours instead of $200,000 for 2,000 hours, you're doing way better with the strategy work for Mm $20,000. The Mm -hmm. problem is, like, how do I get enough of these so that I I get enough (laughs) 20,000s to pay my rent? Yeah. So those are the different qualities. And so so from the at the bottom level. You've got maintaining the status quo, support and maintenance. The middle level, you're building a new status quo. You're sort of helping the transition from the old status quo to the new status quo. And at the mm-hmm. top level, the strategic level, you're helping define the new status quo that gets handed down the chain. Yeah. And I, I currently don't really have any visibility of that because mm-hmm. it's usually happened before I show up. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I just don't get to see it. I don't really know what exactly that looks like. And the idea, give, given what I currently charge for what I do. And I'm kind of happy to talk to people about plans. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I almost can't imagine <laughs> like showing up and saying, yeah, I'll give you some advice for X K. <laughs> you can't imagine that you'd be qualified to do it or you can't imagine it happening. Yeah. Both. <laughs> okay. So it sounds from my earlier question, I think it sounds like you are pretty close to being able to imagine doing it, not in the abstract, but if you were in the situation where you were like, okay, I need to talk to the CTO. I need to talk to the owner. I need to talk to the founder. I need to find out what the business case is here. Yeah. Like, why are you, what do you think you want to build? And then you sound like you're comfortable or you kind of implied that you'd be comfortable talking to users to kind of validate the, yeah. the idea. That doesn't sound like it's totally outside of your wheelhouse. Yeah. So the, the actual doing yeah, fine. But like, I can only really imagine that in the context of, okay, I've got myself a direct contract for coding. Oh, and then it turns out they don't really know what they want. Um, like having that as a, a thing I sell separately as a higher value thing. I don't, I don't have really the foggiest how to get there in spite of everything that I've listened to and okay. everything that I've read. But if, if it magically landed in your lap and somebody said, Hey, we wanted to, Hey, I heard you're really good at .NET. Uh, or maybe you're really good at, at managing developers and running software projects. And I've got mm-hmm. this guy that, that uh, raises thoroughbred horses and he wants to create an online portal. And he doesn't know what to do, but he's got this big vision for the next 10 years of his business. Would you mind talking to him? Like mm-hmm. you, that wouldn't scare you, would it? No. Yeah. Okay. So, so the confidence is there. The question is more like, more like, but how do I get there? So it's, it seems like your confusion, not confusion, but your hesitation is more around like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. But you know, how do I get from here to there? There's no, yeah. it's just, it's just like 
magic happens in the middle. Like here I am, yeah. there's where I want to go. And then a black box in the middle. That's right. Yeah. Cause my current sales pipeline is largely go on job surf, see what hourly, uh, what day rate jobs the recruiters have posted and apply yeah. to a bunch of those and see what arrives. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this happens in the UK, but in the United States, there's this phenomenon where migrant workers will stand outside of a home Depot waiting for a pickup truck to come by <laughs> and that's what you're doing, you know? So, yeah. so you want to be the guy driving the pickup truck next. And then after that, you want to be the guy that hired the guy that's driving the pickup truck. So, right. you know, so there's, uh, that's the progress. That would be the progress. That is one progression. You could also go on a product, do a whole product thing, but you know, that's a different story. Could, um, could you make that analogy a bit more concrete for, for <laughs> my industry? Cause uh, like, I appreciate what you mean with like fruit picker or yeah. whatever. And then people collecting the workers and then the actual uh, owner of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, what would that look like? The, here's, here's the problem. If you're selling <laughs> yourself as a .NET developer. Yeah, which I do. There, it, it, you're making it extremely easy to compare, to, to make you undifferentiated. You're yes. making it very easy for you to look like a bunch of other people who are standing next to you in the parking lot. And there mm. are slight differences. Maybe somebody looks stronger. Somebody looks, you know, well, I don't know, nicer. Mm. But it, no, they, they don't really, that's not the main thing they care about. They just need a pair of hands to go pick strawberries or write .NET code. Yep. And if you are presenting yourself as indistinguishable from the other, you know, 17 people standing there, mm-hmm. then of course they're going to be like, they're going to, their brain is immediately going to be like, well, we have to pick one. How do we pick one? Well, yep. we need to compare them to each other. What's the very first thing they're going to compare? Yeah. It's price. not your skill set. It's the price. <laughs> The very yeah. first thing they're going to do is compare the price because they feel like they're comparing apples to apples. Yeah. And once so, I'm in and I've got the job, I seem to get appreciated. I seem to get yep. longer contracts because uh, like uh, a quote from my current one, like, so they switch technologies. I'm actually not doing .NET right now. And you'd think that would be end of contract. I can't mm-hmm. thought that'd be end of contract. And they're like, oh, well, you bring a load more to this than just code. That, so but that's it would be- after the mm-hmm. sale. Right. That's after the the moment that they made a, a buying decision, right? It's yep. too late. Yep. It's interesting. And if I were you, I'd actually reach back out to whoever said that and say, oh yeah, what? Yeah. Like, are, in your own words, articulate what I bring to this. If it's not my .NET skills, because I thought I was selling .NET skills, but apparently yeah. I'm selling something else. Yeah. So the, and I, I, I don't have an answer for this next question I'm going to pose to you and you probably don't either, but it's the thing to think about which is how do you transform yourself from a .NET developer to the something? Yeah. The ditching hourly guy. How do you turn yourself into the, I don't know what, I, I don't know what it would be from your world, but it would be something where I don't care how hyper-specific it is. It would be something that you could confidently own and say mm-hmm. like, I'm not a .NET developer. You know, if it's like video, I'm a video production person. No, I am the DIY video guy. Yeah, I'm right. sure the .NET thing would have to go to to get the planning because at that point, usually the technology is not even decided unless they're like a company that doesn't do anything but Microsoft. Right, right. So you could say, you know, I'm the .NET guy for thoroughbred horse breeders. Yeah. So There's, You could probably could, own that. It, <laughs> Was there any money in it? Broad? I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> It probably is. <laughs> um, w- would it be too broad to say I'm, I, I specialize in early stage projects where it's still at prototyping and the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, they've got an idea and they want to figure out how to execute. 
it's better. It's way better, yeah. but it's also, it's a higher altitude, which I like. Um, and the way to test whether that is focused enough is by telling people that and seeing mm. if they say, Oh, I know who I should introduce you to. Right. Your Rolodex thing. Rolodex <laughs> moment. If you're not triggering yeah. a Rolodex moment, you're not specific enough. Yeah. So if you just, if you said to somebody, Hey, do you know anybody in the Valley who has just raised their series B and, uh, they have a, a team of at least 12 salespeople and are thinking about, um, 10 xing their user base. Yeah. That's pretty specific. It, and it's not, and it's not demographically specific. Like you could say, you know, Hey, do you know anybody who runs a chain of pizza places or pubs? It's someone, people are immediately going to say yes or no. Yeah. And if, but if you say, Hey, do you know anybody who's thinking about doing blah, 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 blah. The answer is always going to be no. No. How right. would I know if someone was thinking about that? I mean, the odds are so low that they would know what someone was thinking about. But yeah. if you said something like, do you know anybody that maintains a, a fleet of uh, trucks, service trucks, like uh, furniture delivery trucks or garbage trucks or uh, anything mm. like that? You're probably going to get a lot of a surprising number of yeses because we're so connected these days that mm. it's like two degrees of separation between between anything specific enough between you and anything specific enough is like. It's right there. And I keep, I keep bringing up the thoroughbred horse, horses because I wrote an article one time about how I tried to think of the most obscure thing I could think of. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know, people who raise racehorses. Yeah. And <laughs> I had like, and I sent it out to my, and as I was writing it, I, I said something out loud to myself and my wife was like, oh, you're writing an email to Gretchen. And I was like, what? And she was like, <laughs> Gretchen raises thoroughbred horses. I was like, Really? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, so does, so does the lady down the street. And huh. then I, and I was like, no way. And then I sent the email out to my list and I had like 50 people email me back that they knew someone directly who raised thoroughbred horses or, or was in that business. Yeah. I responded to that. I, oh. I didn't quite, I, I didn't quite nail thoroughbred, but my mom had a half thoroughbred. So there you go. <laughs> it's shocking how big the world is and how powerful our social network is. It's yeah. unbelievable. So, um, so how about I've been thinking about maybe a, a line to try and refine that last one. So mm-hmm. how about, do you know anyone who is thinking about starting a new digital service, maybe in government? I, I don't know whether the government's a good niche or not. Probably not. Uh, yeah, it, just in general, not. they tend to enforce an hourly billing, uh, for procurement reasons. They tend to enforce right. that same thing with higher ed. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a shame tape. because I, I really love the way they're organizing their projects now, but it's almost, I love it because they're not, <laughs> they're not prey to, you know, people selling, consulting to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's the, yeah, so if you were going to, and I'm not saying this is how you would have to do it, but, um, but you could just pick a vertical, you could pick a psychographic, you could pick a demographic, all you could pick all of these things. Mm. Tell and me again about the psychographic thing in the psych- context. Psychographic is picking a group of people who believe a certain thing. So you, it right. would be like... Um, so like uh, people who believe that you should do short iterations and test before you c- commit to a two-year project. Yeah, but that's too low level. That's too inside oh. baseball, I think. It'd be more like <laughs> people who um, believe in mission-driven businesses or people who... Mm-hmm. Uh, are for Brexit or people who are, you know, it's, it's a worldview. Like somebody who has a worldview, like uh, people who uh, are environmentally conscious, 
you know, things right. like that. Like, like those people at parties who will wear a button that starts an argument, like yeah. that kind of a person. So like you, that's a psychographic. Where I think maybe it, this is where I'm really struggling because, because the thing that I just love is the technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't got a, a thing that is obvious to me that I should jump to like right. oh, this vertical would yep. be the thing that I would love because I love that vertical. I'm, I'm a bit too ambivalent maybe. Is there an industry you wouldn't work for? Uh, gosh, that's a question. Uh, I don't know. Nothing springs to mind. Human trafficking, uh, porn, oh, well, yeah. Uh, cigarettes. Illegal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be too keen on the porn industry. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's industries you wouldn't work for. I feel like if oh, you gambling. thought about it, I don't okay. like gambling. Yeah. There so there you go. So that's a worldview. That's a psychograph. That's your psychographic. Yeah. So, so you could, you could theoretically say people who are against gambling and you could help organizations that are anti-gambling. But mm-hmm. the point is, if you think about it a little bit, you, and, and you're aware of like what the word psychographic means and what I mean by it and why it makes sense, mm. uh, you, it might occur to you in three weeks. You're like, Oh, you know who I'd really like to help? Like I could help anyone and I don't mind helping a whole bunch of people, but there's mm-hmm. this one particular thing that I really feel like would make the world a better place if they had better software. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, this does not happen to everybody, um, but that's one path that you could take. Another path, into because what we're talking about here is ways to specialize. Another yeah. path into specialization would be to com- become, just stay horizontal, but get super horizontal. Like mm-hmm. I have this one skill on my resume where I would put myself up against anybody in the world and say, Mm -hmm. I'm as good as anybody in the world at this Mm -hmm. and become famous for that hyper specific thing, which means Mm -hmm. you'd have to go way, way, way down the tech stack uh, and get incredibly specific at, I don't know if something comes to mind, but you could say something like like, hyper high throughput for e-commerce, that kind of thing. Yeah. Something like that. Like, like uh, keeping uh, .NET based e-commerce sites up on, you know, through spikes, like on black Friday or busy shopping days of the year, um, something hyper-focused that no one else is even trying to own. So they're not going to own it and pick something incredibly technical. I think I'm less excited about that direction. I think, I think given the choice of the two, I prefer the like pick, um, like a niche that's to do with what the business is doing. Mm -hmm. That that sounds more interesting. And on, on that subject. So I've been sort of thinking about startups as a, a niche in their own right. Um, cause there's a bit of a startup scene in London. Um, it's a, right. It's a demographic. I would call it a demographic specialization. If you picked, yeah. if you picked like, or, you know, bootstrap startups or angel yeah. startups or whatever, like helping, like maybe I'm naive, but I kind of imagine that there's going to be a whole, lot, whole bunch of people there who want to build their businesses. who maybe have got some funding or private mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. who are like, okay, how do we do this? And there's a bit of a shortage of technology and maybe I can bring that in. Yeah, I mean, non-technical founders is a very common target market for software developers. Is it? <laughs> yeah. So, is right. It kind of obvious. It's pretty obvious. So, right, because it's like here's somebody that has an idea and they don't know how to do it. They've just got the vision mm. and they need, it, you know, and and it has pros and cons, you know, it's like one thing is that um um they generally don't have any money. Mm. They don't have real money, like money money. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to sell them, which is fine. You just need to sell them something that's low cost to you. 
So mm -hmm. that could be something like, um, oh, are you a non-technical founder? You're trying to develop this software product for your the industry that you just came out of. Like, you know, it's someone who's been in the legal profession for 30 years and they had this idea for a product and they can't sleep at night. They just feel like this product needs to exist and they're afraid someone's going to beat them to market. And finally, mm -hmm. they say, I'm going to take this seriously. I've saved up 100 grand or whatever. I've got my bootstrapped together $50,000 or pounds or euros mm -hmm. or whatever. And they're like, okay. Yes, I need. And somebody says, you need to talk to Tim. Mm -hmm. And they talk to you, you know, you, talk, you guys talk and you're like, you know what, I think there is a good fit here. But you need to offer, you need to be able to offer something to that person because they're not going to be able to spend the whole hundred grand on you. Yeah, so quite. you need, you need to be able to offer them something that is going to move the needle for them in a way that will be worth the money they gave you and will be worth it to you for the cost. Yeah. And that so brings up probably, something interesting in my mind, actually, which is that what I do, I don't want to be going around taking chunks of money off people. And even if they're like really happy because they got the answer they wanted or whatever, but if it doesn't move them closer to their actual goal of like actually having a successful startup, then I wouldn't be very comfortable with that. I'd want it to be something that really does help them achieve their, their goal. Yeah. That's that first meeting I just glossed over very quickly. So the first meeting is the one where you, you decide if what they want done you decide how confident you are that they are onto something or not onto something uh, that would happen before you even gave them the proposal. That's, that's the point where you're like, um, you know, somebody comes to you and says, I've got an idea for the next Facebook. And you're like, dude, that's not <laughs> happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. So of course, I mean, I mean, what you're saying is like, um, I, I would be a little bit, one thing you said I would be a little bit cautious about what is that, is that yes, you're, it's, it's true. You don't want to take money from people who are essentially naive. You would believe to be naive. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if someone is going to be happy, if, mm -hmm. if someone gives you $50,000 and they're really happy with the outcome, you could do a lot worse. Yeah. You know, so it, it, you want to be a little bit careful about, about only a little bit, but maybe, a little bit careful about productize that. Maybe it could be like for a reasonable fee. I'll help you understand whether you should even pursue it. Hundred yeah. percent. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. You could do. I, I think there's a. I think there are. Uh, I think there are big opportunities there for people who are technical but want to get higher altitude. They want to get a little bit. More, you know, a little bit more head, less hands, more brains, mm -hmm. less labor, and and do something valuable that's farther upstream in these projects instead of being downstream, being the carpenter banging nails. And somebody says, "Hey." plans say put the window here and you're like this is a stupid place to put a window it's not up to us put the window here <laughs> you know if you don't want to yeah. be that guy anymore or that gal then you need mm. to go upstream you need to be in the meeting when the plans were made mm. it's too late once the plans are made you don't get a say so you know with software it's a little bit more flexible but nobody really wants to hear it mm. so if you put set put up set set up or put together a productized service for non-technical founders where you could do, you could offer a couple of different things. One could be uh, an architecture diagram or like an, a feasibility study, or yeah. uh, it could be, um, uh, it could be a prototyping session. It could be user validation, user experience testing. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you could, you could basically get the idea, get the idea out of your head in some way that people can test it. Mm. You know, something like that. And, and, and that's, those are basic principles for someone who's been doing software for, you know, the better part of a decade. Yeah. And what for, for someone who has been a lawyer for 20 years, you mm. know, 
that's not normal. Like that's not obvious to them. So you can take something that's yeah. obvious to you, but not obvious to them and kind of Sherpa them for to the top of the mountain. Yeah. I've come across that. I, I did, I did try and do a, a startup with someone when, when I was even more naive than I am now. Um, <laughs> and it's a similar sort of thing. They had an idea and I, I wasn't at that point able to go, oh, well, we need to validate this in this particular way. Mm -hmm. I think I'd be better at that now. Right. So <clears throat> I'm wondering if, now that you know a lot about what I know, as it were, whether there's like some screaming blind spot in my knowledge and skills that you think I should be running off and filling in. Because like, there's, there's some really good options there of like which ways I could take it. But I feel like there's still a, like there's a gap somewhere and – I'm wondering what I'm, what am I missing? Like, is the in terms of like, should... are you talking about like, should I learn like AI and machine learning? Or are you talking about um, um, no more the soft skill? Yeah. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. That's a better question. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it boils down to this. So, if you're looking for financial freedom and the uh, attendant personal freedom, hmm. you need to create. Th there are really three ways to do it. Three, the, the top three ways to do it are real estate, investing in real estate. Mm -hmm. The second one is building a business that throws off tons of profits. Like and that the, yes, that's the one that makes the most sense <laughs> for you. And the third one is investing in paper assets and hoping that that, that you guess right. And that, you know, when you're yeah. 65, it pays off Yeah, way, excited about way, that one. way down the list is, is refusing to buy lattes and all of that belt tightening stuff. Yeah. So the obvious one for you is the second one. And I said them in order of, you know, if you look at the richest people in the world, that's how they made their money. Top yeah. is real estate. The next one is building business assets. So the, for you, you need to think about more about building a business asset and less about being a good coder. Yeah. So it's, it's about learning the language of businesses. It's about understanding business owners better. I'm not saying go get an MBA because I think that would be a waste of money. Not, I mean, not that it's a waste of money, but for you, I don't think you need to go that far to, yeah, I've, to learn I've what you need. I've read most of the, the book, The 10-Day MBA. <laughs> I have not read that's, that. Uh, it's really good. It's It's got rid of a bit of that, like, I feel like I'm missing out. Um, he basically said, like, here's all of the things that you need to know that are actually taught, and it's a very short book. And the other, the only thing that you can get from an MBA school is if you go to one of the absolute top ones, it can drop you in through your connections to a half million a year yeah. CEO position. Right. Um, if you're not going to one of those top few, then don't bother. Just read the book. Right. I, that's what I've been. T I mean, I have relatives who teach MBA courses and I said, you know, uncle X, do you think I should mm -hmm. get an MBA? Like I'm doing more of this business stuff now. He's like, nah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know, I was like, oh, well, nah, he's like, nah, he asked mm -hmm. me a few questions. He's like, nah, you don't need it. Yeah. So, you know, and not, and I'm not poo pooing on MBAs. I think that's a perfectly good thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I have, he's an MBA. I have plenty of relatives that are MBAs. It's a great thing to do. Education is great. I love it. I'm, mm -hmm. well, I'm being practical here, you know, so yeah. it's someone who's in a situation, situation like you, you're on a different track. You're on a software development track. You're, yeah. you're uh, an engineer and architect of software. Mm -hmm. You swim in the digital space. It's just natural to you. So, you know, if you're going to learn, if you're going to devote time to learning something, it would be learning to think more like a business owner uh, so that you can communicate better with the kind of people who you can probably help the most, but also mm -hmm. so you get a little bit better at recognizing leverage in your own business. Because right now you have like no leverage. 
If you're just, if anybody who's billing by their time has zero leverage, if you sell an hour, you can't optimize how long it takes to deliver. It takes an hour. Yeah. And leverage is all about, you know, picture a lever. Like you, you get a lever and you can lift up a car by yourself. Like mm-hmm. you can't do without the lever it, you, the amount of work that is applied on one end of the lever is magnified on the other end of the lever. So you yeah. do less work and get a bigger result. That's yeah. what you want to do. And that's what is fundamentally crazy about billing for your time because there's <laughs> no way to optimize it. No, no, it's, it's true. The faster you get it done, the less you get paid or the more things land on your plate. Yeah. You want to raise work slower, get a slower computer. It's true. Like, like that's how you make more money. Go slower. Yeah. There's no, there's, I mean, yeah, you could raise your rates, whatever, but that you hit a ceiling very quickly. Yeah. I think I'm there with that. Like, yeah. I look around the market. Yeah. I'm seven years. Is pr- it's about the time when you get the seven year itch, I guess <laughs> seven year ditching <laughs> hourly. Yeah, totally. So, all right. So my specific advice would be to continue reading books like that and get better at thinking like a business person and less like a coder. I'm not saying let your skills, you know, rot on the vine, but mm-hmm. don't like how good you're, you're already good enough. You don't need to sharpen that knife. It's sharp as anything. Yeah. You don't need to worry about that. It's fine. You could go six months without coding. You'd still be fine. So I I would devote time to, uh, talking to business owners who, you know, if you can go, go to like an incubator or something Mm -hmm. and just have conversations with business owners, you'd need some premise. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you say to people, Hey, uh, through your network. Hey, I'm looking to talk to, um, non-technical founders, people who are thinking about founding a business or startups, or maybe they just did, or maybe they're looking for an angel round. I'm looking to talk to them mm-hmm. for a piece I'm working on. I'm going to blog about it, or I'm going to do a podcast article, or I'm thinking about creating a product for folks like that. It's not created yet. It's not a sales call. I just want to talk to people and see if there'd be any value mm-hmm. in me spending time creating this product I service. And, mm-hmm. and just optimize your life for conversations with those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And it, through talking with them, it, if you're lucky, and you know, when I say lucky, maybe it's a 50-50 shot, you're going to be like, oh, wow, there's like a lot of fish here. There's like a lot of fish jumping into my boat. You know, yeah. there's, a lot, there's, like, there's like plenty of work here for me to do something that's super high level instead of just banging out semicolons. I can, mm-hmm. I can be prototyping things for people, getting the idea out of their head and in front of potential users at an extremely low cost compared to building the software and being like, whoops, nobody mm-hmm. wants this. How, how would I like, understand the values that I can bring to these people? You just um, ask them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like how valuable, valuable would it be to you just, I mean, like if you've heard my why conversation stuff, that's what it's for. You're like, why would you do this? Why would you give me $50,000 to do this? Or why would you give me $500 to do this? And they'll tell you. So like, well, why can't you just get your Mm -hmm. nephew to do it or do it yourself? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, You just present all the cheap options and either they're complete, they're just utterly under living under a rock and they're like, Oh, Fiverr's a thing. What's Fiverr? Yeah. You know, or job boards are a thing or like, you know, maybe they don't know about that stuff, but uh, those wouldn't be good clients. But that's value is subjective. It is a perception in the mind of the buyer. So the only way to figure out what it's worth to them is to ask them to pull it out of their mind somehow. Over time, after years of doing this, and if you're really focused on a specific kind of customer, you'll be able Mm -hmm. to cold read them. You'll be able to say like, 
you just look at what they're wearing and like why they came in and you're like, dude, you're leveraged to the hilt. You've got yeah. real estate. You, you spent yeah. too much money on this and you need exactly this right now. Am I right? That's why you're here. And they'll say like, yeah. yeah, you nailed me. Yeah. But that doesn't happen at first. At first you've got to ask it's conversations. And if you get good at interviewing people that those answers will come out. Yeah. So what, um, you mentioned incubators, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so getting out and about is a bit of a challenge for me at the moment, partly because the, <laughs> unsurprisingly yeah. the client work is taking all my time and That's the, a problem. the small children take the rest of it. Um, I, I will be able to carve out a bit, but I need to make sure I'm like making the best out of it. So yeah. I gather there's some startup groups, meetup groups in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I can find these people online in any meaningful sense and start relationships. Um, I would, ask, I would ask do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't go into the. Some people are good in the in the in the meat space type of networking, um, mm. but you're exhibiting some of the some of the signs that that wouldn't be the greatest fit for you. So mm. I would say figure out how to do it online, and they're going to be. I mean, if you look for incubators and um, mm. uh, accelerators, or you know, even the meetups or whatever, mm. it's maybe they won't exist anywhere online, but eh, I find that a little hard to believe. Yeah. There must be somewhere. So ideally you'd find a watering hole, maybe a subreddit or something where people are talking about business ideas. Non-technical people are talking about business ideas. Maybe it's a lawyer subreddit, you know, like lawyer, entrepreneur lawyer, you know, something, but spend, spend some time Googling around and find where these people are having conversations now. It might be a Slack. It might be a private Slack. It might be a LinkedIn group. Yeah. It might be a Facebook group. Um, I, would, I would probably start with Reddit, though, and or Hacker News. Somebody might know about something. Do normal people go on Reddit? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> lots of people go on Reddit. Let's put it like that. True. <laughs> so it, it could be that there's something there. Uh, go on Quora. Quora is um, yeah. pro- not as popular, but it, m- more normal people there, I would say. But yeah. Google, do some fancy Googling and look around for, I mean, the first thing I would do is like non-technical founders looking for partner because that's what they're always looking for. They want a technical partner. Uh, uh, that's another, that's one of the cons of it is that they're not going to want to pay you. They're going to want to give you equity. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, whatever, you can still have the conversation. And yeah, that may not be the worst outcome in the world. Like if it's a, if it's one that I if think you believe in it, good shot. Yeah. Yeah, if it matches your your risk profile, your risk tolerance, and you believe in it, and then and it's yeah. not going to uh, eat up too much of your time, like consume your life. There's, I, it's different for everybody. It's not my thing, but that's just because of my personal um, biases. Yeah. yeah, I know I've plenty not, of people I, have done. I know very some people well. have got some people have got burnt being in that world, mm-hmm. burnt out, I should say. <laughs> um, sure. but I've not really been in it, so I don't know whether whether I, I I can imagine liking it, but I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things where the winds are huge, but they're few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. It's gamble. It just depends on how risky you want to be. So, um, to wrap up, cause I need to, I need to, uh, go take the kids to karate as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I hope, has this been helpful at all? Or did you have, feel like you're just more confused than we started? Uh, yeah, no, it's really helpful. I am, I'm still a bit confused to be honest, but I, I think I've got a bit of a framework to put it in now. Um, so like, so I think I've narrowed down my, area of confusion i think you're right about (laughs) getting well think more like a business owner i think really sums it up Mm -hmm. i I do spend all my time thinking like a programmer Mm -hmm. um (laughs) understandably after 20 years um so yeah get i think getting out and meeting 
people who are doing that and you've given me some good ideas for how I could actually meaningfully find them and ways to talk about stuff with them I'm certainly comfortable walking into a room and just like making small talk with people and finding out about them I'm quite happy doing that so that's yeah that's big that a lot of developers well. don't don't feel that way a lot of developers are like uh public <laughs> yeah conversations yeah. Yeah. So that's good. So that's what I would do. Just have more conversations, think more like a business owner and because you, to achieve your stated objectives, financial freedom and personal freedom, you have to create leverage. And that means Mm. working less and making more. There's like no way around it. It's, it's, it's like, you know, the thermodynamics of business. It's not changing. Mm. So there's a bit of me that just like assumes that's impossible because we've all been trained to work for money. Uh, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm fighting against. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So um, questions. Yep. Let's, let's wrap up here. So I don't get yelled at for missing karate. (laughs) But thanks to work on good. Good. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. I'll, you'll, this will be posted. You'll be able to re-listen to it in case I talk too fast and maybe we need to re-listen to it. I Um, will. Cool. Thanks again for, asking for the invite, I guess, or suggesting the idea of doing an interview like this, because it's been really fun for me. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope I hope the people listening get something out of it, too. I hope there's people, people in my situation who, who haven't <laughs> got on the phone with you who can pretend they're pretend they're me. There's certainly lots of people <laughs> I speak to who are like, Oh, if only I have that big idea, I can get out of contracting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, great. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Same here. All right, well, that's it for this time around. I'm Jonathan Stark, and you have been listening to Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan here again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hi, Tim Abel, back again. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that show from another show. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Shof- Software. should be free if you're not already. Um, I hope you got something out of that. Let me know on Twitter, Tim underscore Abel. Get in touch at timwise.co.uk. Uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.